The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in again, I always appreciate it. Uh, my guest this week is going to be Ed Chaviera again. Uh, Ed came out uh, around two months ago. He was doing a guest spot at Piercing Emporium in Worcester, which is uh, about an hour south of me. And he came up and we just kind of like hung out for the night and we talked piercing stuff. And he was back again at Piercing Emporium. So I had him come back up again and we did another podcast for you. This time we actually kind of just focused on one subject the whole time, and that's aftercare. Uh, aftercare is a huge part of body piercing. You know, you, you put all that time and effort into thinking about the right anatomical placement and the right jewelry, and aftercare is a, a really big part of that successful formula. So we talk about some of the things we used to do when we first got into piercing, some of the things that we would definitely never suggest again, and um, you know, really our philosophy on what works now and and why it works. So we talk about the stuff we used to do. You know, we talk about dial and back teen and, and all that stuff. For all the uh, the older piercers out there, the more experienced of you, uh, you probably have some experience with that kind of stuff, for, for better or worse. But I also feel like most piercers these days are kind of starting to get on the same page when it comes to saline products. Uh, so we talk about that. We talk about some stuff in between. You know, we talk about tea bag soaks. We talk about sea salt soaks. We talk about all kinds of stuff. So giving you some updates on my classes, I'm really excited about all this stuff. You know, I never would have thought even just a couple months ago that I was going to get the reaction that I've, that I've been getting with these classes. So they're working really good. Uh, I feel like I'm getting a lot of momentum on them. Just to remind you, I've got my class on uh, Sunday, April 29th at the Boston Tattoo Convention. Uh, that's going to be Piercing Needle Bevel Theory. That's open for registration now. Uh, then I've got May 20th in the Chicago area at Old Traditions. I'm going to be doing my all-day freehand piercing technique. Uh, it's called Understanding and Applying Freehand Piercing Techniques. And I can confirm for you that I've got another class on Monday, June 4th in the San Francisco area. I'm going to be doing a class with my friends at Blue Star Tattoo in Concord, California. Uh, really happy to announce that one for all the, the people in the Bay Area. You can go to precisionbodyarts.com backslash seminars. You can get the info for all of my announced classes right now. You can sign up. Uh, you can feel free to send me any questions you might have about it as well. And I can tell you that the, the hits keep on coming. I've, I've got some offers in for a class in the Los Angeles area. Uh, I've got a class offer for the Portland area. I'm going to be going forward on both of those. I think I'm probably going to wait until after the APP conference. I know sometimes it can be a little bit difficult for people to go to uh, more than one event in a short period of time. So I think maybe later on in the summer... I'll hit the, uh, the Los Angeles area, maybe the Portland area, and I'm going to be booking out into the, the fall as well. I've already got the UK seminar, the uh, UK APP seminar is going to be coming up in uh, early September, and then uh, right after that is the BMXNet conference in Germany, so those are two of my, uh, my favorite international trips that I, I typically make every year, so I'm definitely planning to be back for those. After that uh, is the Camp APP private event for members in Georgia. 
Uh, I believe that's in uh, early or mid-October. And uh, other than that, I got loads of free time. So if you're a shop out there and you're interested in, in maybe hosting me for a seminar, you know, maybe sometime next fall, you know, not even necessarily in the U.S., you know, I, I've, I've got... Uh, kind of a preliminary offer in for another shop in the UK and I've been talking to people in a few other countries as well so I would really like to get out there meet as many people as possible teach as many classes as possible so uh, if you're interested in, in maybe hosting me for a seminar feel free to reach out you can always email me at ryanpba at gmail.com and we can kind of go from there so for now let's get into uh, this week's interview with Ed we talk all things aftercare and I'll be back a little bit after that hello it is Ed again we're here to talk about piercing stuff and things <laughs> and things and stuff. Things and stuff. Um, all right. So the last time you were out, we talked about portfolios. What else did we talk about? Do you remember any of it? I, don't um, any of it. I think we talked about a few different things, but it was mostly portfolios, things we didn't do, piercings that we'd rather not do. Right. Um, so yeah. this episode... Subject I wanted to talk about this time is aftercare, and I think a lot of people see it as boring because they're already at a point because of uh, conference and and forums and the progression of the industry where I think most people who are already using good quality jewelry and good quality sterilization are also already using saline or something in the saline hemisphere. but I don't know how it was for you, but for me, like saline is is the end of like a long journey of like figuring out aftercare, you know, and a lot of it is classes I've taken at conference and articles I've read in the point and talking to other piercers, but also a big part of it is like trial and error and just seeing what has worked for me and what has worked for my clients. Um, like what are you, what's your aftercare that you're telling people most comfortably now? Uh, now, most consistently it's saline. Yeah. Um, you know, every now and again, I'll, I'll go somewhere where saline just isn't enough um, and extra steps have to be taken. Um, but, you know, I, I come from a time period where you diluted back team with tap water because, <laughs> you know, that's the best thing to do. Right. Um, you know, I come from when I got my first tongue piercing, I cleaned it with glyoxide, which, you know, most people don't even know what that is anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't know any different and it all healed, but it doesn't make it the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I, when I started piercing full time, um, was when CareTech was still, uh, a company that was providing a lot of aftercare products and it was either Provon or Satin Soap, uh, depending on whether it was mucous membrane or not. Mm. Um, and man, I love that Satin Soap. I don't know if you guys ever used it up here. Oh yeah. I love, I love Satin Soap. Like you can... <laughs> You can smell it like when you get comfortable with that smell of like PCMX, like you can you can pick it up from anywhere. Like as a piercer, you know, if you maybe accidentally get a drop of it like on your pants or your shirt, you'll get home at the end of the day and you'll be like, I smell Technicare or I smell Satin or Provon or I smell it. But, you know, it, it definitely went from that to a more saltwater and natural based aftercare. And, you know, at that time we were suggesting you mix your own stuff, which definitely comes with a whole level of room for error. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just kind of evolved into saline, you know, and even with traveling a lot, like I said, there's, there's places that you have to do a little bit more than saline. Um, you know, I definitely find that in the South, there's a consistency of almost needing to use some sort of mild soap. Mm-hmm. Is that because of humidity or? Yeah. 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 Um, you know, but then I know even years, years and years ago when, uh, before saline was a thing and soap was still predominant aftercare other places, uh, I worked in Salt Lake City 
and in Salt Lake City, nothing worked other than H2 Ocean. Okay. Um, so really, it's at the end, it's geographical location, you know, humidity, dryness, elevation, all that stuff's really going to come into play with with what your clients really need. And I really don't think that, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here, but, you know, it's almost like there can't be just a one. Yeah. A one and done, but that's kind of what saline has turned into. And I think it's just yeah. mainly because it's the easiest and less people react to that than anything else. And and I think, um, you know, it, saline as a brand has been monetized, you know. So I think a lot of piercers, they just, they roll it into their their routine. You know, it's, we pick out your jewelry, we set up your piercing fee, and then, you know, do you want to get the saline for 10 bucks or however much? And I think people are, are focusing on that. For me, I know saline is a, a big part of, of my process, you know, and I try to uh, get as many clients buying it as possible because I just, I believe in it as being the correct aftercare. Um, but just like you said, regionally, I never really thought in those terms, even though I travel a lot and I talk to a lot of piercers from other areas, I never really thought like, well, would, would this overdry a piercing in this spot? Would it be not enough in, in this other spot? You know, do they need something like a soap or do they need something else in, involved in the aftercare? And now I'm at a point where it's like, all right, I know what works for me in my area, but when I go somewhere else, that that's one of the first questions I'll ask them is like, you know, what are you suggesting for aftercare here so that I don't contradict you basically yeah. because you know what your market needs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's always the first question I ask, too, because at this point in my career, that's all I'm doing is going to people studios that I'm not an employee, and half the time I've never worked there, so I have to know, hey, what are you doing? Because I have to mimic what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I can't just come in here and give my opinion because I don't know if it's going to work. Right. Um, so, you know, I think, um, I think as piercers, and especially as, I don't want to say newer piercers, but once you've been doing this a while and... And you really are on this, like, not soapbox, but, hey, I know what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm also really caring and I'm going above and out of my way. Like, you kind of also get stuck in this. Well, nope, this is the one thing that works because it's yeah. what I do and it's what all my peers do. Mm -hmm. And it's what all these classes are saying. But, you know, like, there's not just a one way. Yeah. And, and every now and again, you're going to get the one person that even if this worked on the last 99 people, this hundred person is going to need something different. So mm -hmm. I think it's really good to know and understand other forms of aftercare, um, especially if you're going to be troubleshooting with your clients, because, you know, not everybody, not one thing works for everybody. Mm -hmm. And sometimes one person might need to do something that you might really be against, but it's really going to be what works for yeah, them. Yeah, that'll be what, what helps them. Um, well, so let's, let's talk about some of the different kinds of aftercare that you think have either like deservedly been retired or ones that can work in, in some situations, but not many. So for me, like my, my start with aftercare was dial soap. And I, I think a lot of people started there. And the theory was, you know, it's, it's antibacterial. It's going to kill the, the bacteria. And I think a lot of people still look at aftercare and healing a piercing as you're forcing it to heal. You know, like you have to make it heal by doing this specific like regimen with it. But now I try to tell people like, you're not trying to make it heal. You're just letting it heal and you're supporting that and you're kind of getting out of the way and letting the body handle a lot of the work. But for me, it started out with, um, you know, antibacterial soap and uh, antibiotic ointment and, and, and things that were like, you know, kill, kill, kill the germs away. Uh, and, you know, that, that can cause a lot of damage to the, the healing skin. Like even now the FDA says don't use antibacterial soaps with, with triclosan, you know, which is, you know, the orange dial because it's really over drying. It kills the, the bad bacteria, but it also kills the good bacteria. 
and it just makes your skin more susceptible to to infections and, and irritations because you don't have that that healthy balance of good and bad bacteria there anymore. Totally. Um, I, I think you just hit something that's really key, and that's using something that's not killing everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be common knowledge. We have good and bad bacteria on our body, and we need that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that uh, the the old school way of like let's use all these really harsh chemicals that are going to kill everything was overkill, and probably why we saw some of the problems that we saw on a regular mm. basis. Um, I think these days, I personally prefer something more natural, and if it's saline, great. Um, I am a big fan of either just plain warm compresses or chamomile tea compresses on. Uh, problematic piercings when I'm troubleshooting with people or if I see someone that has like a bump that's kind of like oozy but Mm -hmm. not quite like you know it's like come on we need to do something more than just saline at this point yeah um chamomile I've never I've never gotten to a point where I have actually suggested that to a client and I I get the the theory behind it you know chamomile is an anti-inflammatory you know if you if you steep it uh and you make that kind of like warm wet compress uh against a piercing it could potentially be anti-inflammatory for the piercing, but I think when it comes to troubleshooting type aftercare, sometimes people rely on it too much. You know, if it's like, well, you know, maybe a, 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 a tea compress would help if you did it once or for like two or three days, but then I think people get into that habit where it's like, well, now I got to do this three times a day, every day for a month, and then it just gets like goofy. So what, when, when you suggest it, what what are the specifics you suggest with it? Um, so a really prime example, I just had to actually suggest it yesterday. Um, I had a gentleman come in to get his nostril pierced, really, really wanted it done with a, with a ring. I don't do nostrils with rings. And and if you do, that's okay. I personally don't. It's just my preference. I don't think it's one of the explanations I like to give is, um, I can pick my nose with my thumb, Mm -hmm. but that's not the best tool to pick my nose with. I don't think that a hoop or a ring is the best tool to pierce a nostril with. So, you know, after explanation, we agreed, we did a little stud, looked really nice I brought him back to pierce him, introduced myself to the friend, but really didn't pay attention to the friend. Normally when I pierce, my focus is on the person I'm piercing. I'll introduce and acknowledge anybody else that comes to the room. But once they have a seat, unless I see them falling over, like you're yeah. just kind of there. They're like a lamp yeah. in the corner. Um, so after I was done piercing, the friend was like, hey, do, do you mind taking a peek at my nostril? I just had it done. And, and I heard what you said about why you didn't want to do it with a hoop, but I did it with a hoop. And... The moment I looked at her nose, that was a really impressive big bump on there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, "Oh, the exact." And this is why, why I don't, don't do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit, and, and we talked about her aftercare and what she had been doing, and and really she was just overdoing it. Yeah, you know, um, you know. So on top of having already an uphill battle with the jewelry that she chose to do it with, she was also just way overdoing her aftercare. Um, she was spraying her nose with whatever saline she was using, like I think she said six, seven times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it clearly wasn't doing anything. So I, I, you know, got up close on it and looked at it. And what I suggested she do was drop her saline down to once a day in the morning um, to get crusties off from at night and, mm-hmm. you know, before she showers. And then at night to do a 10 minute chamomile tea bag compress. I'm pretty specific with people when I tell them to do it. Um, I think that part of the key on doing that is warmth. Um, so I'll tell people to put two tea bags in a hot cup of water and just alternate it that as soon as one cools down, right. put the other one on. And we really want to try to keep it compressed for a full 10 minutes. I'm really, really comfortable with it, especially on piercings like that, because I've seen it work. Mm-hmm. It, it is a natural anti-inflammatory. It is a natural astringent. 
um, and, and then the warmth is going to help improve circulation. Yeah. And just all those three things are bonuses at that point. Uh, and I've definitely seen it do on piercings where I was just like, look, I can tell you don't want to give up on this, so we're going to try this. I don't think it's going to work. You're probably going to be back in two weeks, and we're going to be taking this piercing out. And then I see them a month later, and they have a really happy piercing. You know, so it's I'm comfortable with it because I've seen it work. Yeah, um, yeah. I have done a guest spot at uh, a studio in New York that that's their sole aftercare is teabag compresses. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, I, I was a little bit at first like, hmm, well, but I suggest it sometimes, so let's see what things look like. Yeah. Uh, I was there for two weeks, and they were a pretty busy studio. I was doing average of 15 to 20 piercings a day and a handful of inserts. I didn't see a bad piercing. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Even people that are like, oh, yeah, I've only had this, you know, a month. I've only had this two months. It's like, cool. That looks great. So so one one thing, and this, if Jeff Saunders is listening to this episode, I know <laughs> that he'll be rolling his eyes. But uh, so one thing that he's said to me in, in the passing conversations is, well, is that evidence that the piercing healed uh, because of the teabag? Or is that evidence that it could heal in spite of the teabag? And I think what some people might say is, well, maybe it's not the the tea in a situation like that maybe it's just like it's a, a warm compress yeah. well kind of at this particular studio they didn't have a preference on tea okay it was just a tea bag just any tea bag yes okay um they would actually even give you as part of your little aftercare packet you got a lipton tea bag huh okay i think at that point it's really just got to be more <laughs> just a warm, warm yeah a warm and i mean compress. i'm sure most teas have some kind of astringent property and some kind of anti-inflammatory yeah. property maybe I yeah. mean, john johnson maybe you can tell us about <laughs> this um so but yeah i think i think warmth is definitely great mm-hmm. you know i mean when you're putting warmth against stuff you're gonna get more circulation and secretion and whatever you know mm-hmm. i think that ultimately that will help um I'm a big fan of telling people to, you know, use a heating pad to, to warm up their piercings yep. if they have to, you know. Um, one, of, one of my biggest jumps in success for aftercare um, was, you know, the saline was, was good, but also now whenever I'm doing usually like complicated ear stuff, you know, especially like Daith Doth piercings, uh, I always tell people like, hey, do you have a strong shower head? You know, put it on a strong setting that's not uncomfortable and just blast it with warm water for a minute every time you shower, you know, and the... The warmth again helping with the circulation but also you have that that water pressure carrying away any of the the dry discharges yep. on the piercing and they don't have to use a finger or a q-tip product or anything right to to maybe aggravate it and make it inflamed so I, I think that's a really really big part of my aftercare now is just rinse it really thoroughly with the strong stream of water in the shower don't just get it wet and then let it dry because then you get those you know bricks of dried gunk on yeah. the on the piercing but if you can use a little bit of water pressure I think that's that's the superior aftercare product. And if, if people could confidently just shower two or three times a day and blast it with warm water, <laughs> I probably wouldn't even suggest saline. I um, I like to suggest saline before the shower just to soften those crusties up so mm-hmm. in the shower they get rinsed off to avoid using cotton products. Yeah. Um, I really, it makes me cringe every time I hear somebody say, oh yeah, I just wipe it with a Q-tip. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, that's, that's that can be causing part of that problem. I, I still I still suggest Q-tips, but I always say a wet Q-tip, not yeah. a dry Q-tip, yeah. you know, because a dry Q-tip, yeah, like there's no way that you're going to touch that to like a crusty piercing and not get fibers and stuff all stuck to the jewelry and stuck to the piercing. So I always say, you know, either warm water on a Q-tip or, you know, spray saline on a Q-tip, but don't just use a dry Q-tip. I always say saline. I mm-hmm. just tell them to use the same product that they use to spray it with. That way I'm not introducing anything else. Yeah. Like, 
Um, but I do emphasize that if they only do it if they have to, mm-hmm. and to also realize that if they have sprayed saline on the piercing, given it ample time to soften any crusties and showered afterwards, yeah. and it still hasn't come off on its own, mm-hmm. just leave it. Just leave it. It's yeah. probably protecting something, and that's why it's so like on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a really big believer that scabs on our body or our body's natural band-aid mm-hmm. so if it's stuck you know it's maybe trying to do something yeah um so yeah I, I really unless i hear people saying no i wipe my stuff off i'm like hey if you're if you're gonna do that mm-hmm. spray the tip of the q-tip with your saline but i'd rather you not do that yeah um blasting with hot water is great you know i think that that's again warmth you know i think that that's always going to be a positive you know um at this point um Really, I, I just really try to keep away from chemicals and not for any, like, strong reason or any, like, oh, this, that, or the other. I just really feel if you don't have to use a chemical for it, mm-hmm. don't, you know? So um, part I of my think... aftercare is, not not to cut you off, sorry, but part of my aftercare is, is telling people, if you wouldn't trust it to spray it directly in your eye mm. or to swallow it, don't put it on your piercing. Yeah. You know, and that's that really makes it click for them for a lot of the things because people come in. And they're always like, well, I know the, I know your packet says don't use alcohol or don't use ointment or don't use this or that, but my friend said or the internet said or whatever. So, but if you can just give give that people that line of, well, would you would you put it in your eye? Would you rub that ointment in your eye or would you pour peroxide in your eyeball? Like, no, don't put it on your piercing because it's going to be just as irritating. You don't feel it the same way, but it's going to be just as irritating. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for me, a big one is reminding people that we have an immune system mm-hmm. and, and that's what's really going to take care of your body. And yeah. As long as you're taking care of yourself, your body's going to take care of you. And I think, uh, you know, now in 2018, if, and when I get a piercing, I just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't fuck with it. I don't touch it. I don't rotate it. When I take a shower, I, I spend extra time letting it, uh, you know, get start flushed out with warm water but outside of that, if it's not really bothering me and I don't have to do anything, you know, like my immune system takes care of it. My body right. takes care of it. And if it needs extra help, sure, I'll figure out what it needs at that moment. But I can't remember the last time I really ever used something to really like aftercare products for my own personal piercings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that kind of makes me a little bit more relaxed when I'm talking aftercare with clients because, yep. I, you know, I'm not really trying to push a product. I'm just trying to really let them know, A you already have a body that's taking care of this as, as we are talking, your body is starting to figure out what the fuck to do with this. Right. But two, like here, let's just use these mild products. And if these don't work, come back and we'll talk about some other things. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, if you are a union fucking woodworker, you know, you're going to get more dirty than yeah. someone that, or if you work in a garage. Yeah. Or, you know, if you're yeah. a mechanic or, you know, you work in a mill of some sort or, you know, I don't know, you're a gardener, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, you might need more than just, hey, squirt this with saline once or twice yeah, a day. Yeah. Um, so I think a part of aftercare, and the part of aftercare that's really important is taking that two minutes, five minutes to get to know your client and their lifestyle and what might particularly work better for them. Um, and to go from there, or at least give the opportunity and be open to suggesting other things if you see problems or yeah. if you're having somebody come back that maybe lives a more intense lifestyle or a more dirty lifestyle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, not limiting yourself is always kind of the key to being a good piercer. What's, uh, what's your opinion on, uh, oils of various kinds and not, not when it comes to like stretched ears, like for anything other than like a stretched ear, what's your opinion on like oils? Um, I've seen them work just like I've seen other things work. 
I don't suggest them um, personally. I don't like the idea of an oil just clogging something up and not really allowing it to breathe right. and um, kind of do its thing. But again, I think there's a time and a place for everything. And, and, you know, I've definitely seen people use various oils on healing piercings that have been problematic and it worked. Yeah. You know, um, there's some oils I don't like and I will definitely tell people not to use if they have like a three-week-old nostril that's pissed off and mm. they're putting tea tree oil on it. I'm like, eh. Tea tree oil, I'm super against just at, at, at all. You know, yeah. um, I think tea tree oil is one of those things that people find really easily when they do a Google search for what do I put on my problematic piercing. That I think that's the only thing keeping tea tree oil and like aspirin paste uh, going <laughs> on, on piercings oh, because God, people... aspirin paste. Right. Uh, people read about it, but the thing about, you know, tea tree oil is it's it's a very harsh astringent so right. it can have the potential to to kind of burn the skin a little bit, you know. And if you're getting it on the skin, that's something different. But if you're getting it inside the piercing, like that that skin channel, that fistula, can't handle something that irritating, and it's just going to make the piercing more inflamed and more irritated. So I get the theory behind tea tree oil in some specific situations, but I I don't think it's beneficial enough for anybody to to really try it. In in my opinion, I've never seen tea tree oil have a positive impact. And I know there's going to be people listening that are like, well, I, I suggest it all the time and it works. And again, I'll go back to that thing of like, well, did the piercing get better because of that? Or did the piercing get better in spite of that? Was it coincidental that the piercing got better when maybe they stopped doing another aftercare in favor of an oil? Maybe it wasn't the oil. Maybe it was that they had stopped doing something else too. Yeah. Totally. Who knows? So my thing with oils, one, I don't really know a lot about them and I'm not really into like this natural aftercare and how to do it the best way but if i recall correctly from a class i took many many years ago at app you're still supposed to dilute the oil into a water and do a soak with it not just put the oil directly on the skin i've never heard and of that. i'm not gonna say that this is the person that said it mm -hmm. but the name that keeps popping into my head is luis garcia yeah yeah, and and it was I don't it wasn't even an aftercare class. I don't remember what it was, but he specifically went into like if you're going to do this, you're supposed to be diluting it and doing a soak. And I might be completely wrong. How do you it might mix oil else. into water? Um so I I don't know why I'm remembering this, but uh I remember it being a ratio of something like 6 drops of the oil into water and you yeah. just kind of like somehow mix it together. Hmm. Um, and I might just be lying. I might have just had, I might have had some crazy dream last night that I was some sitting at APP in like, you know, 2002 or some yeah. shit. Yeah. And that happened. But I, I, I recall that somebody, somebody's talking about natural oil still needing to be diluted. I mean, I don't, compressed. I don't doubt that that came up in a conversation. I just don't, I don't know if I would be comfortable trying that, but um, yeah. I think when people think oils in modern day uh, body piercing, you know, it's it's bird fat oil, you know, from, yeah. from the emu. Uh, yeah. I think that has, has gotten pushed in a way where I, I have used uh, products like that for people who aren't super familiar with it. For my Again, I'm not an expert, and, but my general understanding is there's something about the oil from an emu where it absorbs through the skin rather than just sitting on top of it. Kind of thing if i recall correctly it's the ph levels are the same okay the ph level on the emu oil is the same ph level that most of us carry okay um so our bodies don't look at it as what the hell are you right it's like oh hey what's up homie okay um and i might be wrong too you know i, I mean, mean that sounds right but i, I, mean, I, might, I might just be having you know weird flashback yeah. dreams that never really existed so um but if anybody knows about 
oil aftercare and whether you do have to dilute it or not. Or Luis, if I was right and you were the one that talked about it, let us know. Yeah, uh, you can email me at. <laughs> <laughs> um, so oils, you know, I I know that. There have been times where, uh, you know, I'll go out to conference and I'll pick up a, a big bag of those little tiny bottles of emu oil and um, I'll give those out to clients every now and then. I don't sell it in my studio, but if someone has a very specific problem where I can look at it and be like, okay, you have a lot of dryness, you know, usually it'll be, what are you cleaning it with? You know, are you using um, saline? If you are, just stop using it. You know, if you're, if you're mixing your own sea salt solution, you're probably mixing it way too strong and you're probably over drying your piercing. So in situations like that, I'll say, just stop cleaning it and then let's see if it just equals it out, you know, and the dryness goes away on its own. But if not, then in some of those situations, I'd be like, take this little bottle, take one little drop on your fingertip and just dab it on your piercing once a day. See if it makes an improvement. If not, stop using it after a couple of days or a week or something like that. But I don't, I don't sell it in my studio. I don't push it in my studio. You know, if I buy a bag of, I don't know, 25 of those, that, that bag of 25 will last me a year, if not more than a year, you know, because I'm not giving it out very frequently. Um, you know, and oils, I know that they're great for like stretched piercings, you know, ears and stuff like that, especially, but when it comes to other body piercings, you know, I, I really think people don't do enough of like the Sherlock Holmes of like what's going on with it. I think it's just, you have any problem, here is the solution to any problem. I don't think they, they have all the different cards in their deck like you would with like, well, am I going to suggest chamomile? Am I going to suggest oil? Am I going to suggest saline? Am I going to suggest soap. water, soap? Yeah, all that stuff. Because you have to look at what the individual situation is and, and, and have the experience level of knowing well, this is probably going to be your best solution for, you know, healing it or, or you know, getting rid of a problem or, or whatever. But I, I wouldn't want people listening to the show to just start being like, oh, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a bunch of tea bags or I'm going to get a bunch of oil. And, and I'm just going to su suggest that to everybody, you know, because it's very much like a person to person scenario, you know, and like my general aftercare is, is definitely saline, um, but I can deviate from that a little bit if I need to. Yeah. Which, you know, it's just kind of the sign of experience and being good at what you do is just not relying on this one thing all yeah. the time. Yeah, because when you do rely on that and you just say it like, you know, if you're just parroting what you what you read somewhere or what you heard someone else say, you're kind of doing a disservice because you might not even understand why you're suggesting a product, you know? Like um, H2Ocean is a, is a really good example. Like how many people out there are suggesting H2Ocean but don't know that it's not a, a vegan product, you know, that there are animal products in H2Ocean. And if you don't know that, you know, just read the bottle. And um, so Lysozyme, like how, how much nerd science stuff do you know about that? <laughs> uh, I know it's derived from egg whites. Right, yeah. That's, so That's about as much as I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lysozyme is, is um, it's, it's basically, is it an enzyme? Is it an enzyme or is it some sort of probiotic or whatever in the, th the body I think yeah I, I mean i know you can find it in other food too yeah um can I you think, tell that we're experts yeah right <laughs> um i know that at one point i used to work with somebody that would suggest um if they had the consultation time they would suggest our client eat a lot of pineapple because apparently pineapple has lysozyme in it yeah and he he swore by it he was yeah. like yeah do they have like the lysozyme running through their system and it just helps out and it just makes it for a more comfortable heal and i was like all right hippie huh well, you know, I, I can I can totally see that natural stuff can be beneficial. Um, I don't remember who it was, but I remember somebody for a while was suggesting like, you know, drink a ton of wheatgrass or, and even get to the point where it put wheatgrass on your piercing. And for me, that seems a bit too far, but I understand the nutrition side of it. You know, I remember, I don't know if people are still doing this, but I remember back in the 90s and the 2000s, part of the aftercare was always make sure you get a lot of sleep, 
Make sure you take vegetables, you know, eat vegetables or take vitamins. Zinc. Right. You know, that <laughs> stuff was like a big part of it because you wanted people's bodies to be healthy enough to, to heal the piercing without having to add a lot of stuff into it. So I think you just touched on something that is kind of maybe a big deal now. And, and people are more health conscious. Mm-hmm. And when your body's healthier, it's going to react to whatever you do to it in a better manner. Yeah. Um, so maybe we're now dealing with a clientele that it overall is healthier than it was 20 years ago. So now we have this like, Hey, you're already healthy. So here's this one product that's kind of, kind of worked most of the time because yeah. your body's already working at top mm-hmm. tip top performance. So, you know, that's something to take in consideration too. You know, are you seeing problematic piercings from people that maybe aren't as healthy? Yeah. You know, um, and by no means I'm not a healthy person. You know, I, I'm very overweight but I really try to treat myself as good as I can for being an overweight person. And mm-hmm. I like my vegetables. I try to drink as much water as I can. I take vitamins. So, you know, even now I can get pierced and, and it's not this horrendous thing. You know, yeah. I think that it's because I take care of myself. If you, if you draw like this weird correlation between, you know, not to, to sound like, you know, like I'm jumping to conclusions, but if you take uh, a, a section of clientele who is getting pierced with exclusively low quality jewelry. You know, maybe they're lower income clients and maybe they don't have as much nutrition in their diets also. But at the same time, like those people are still, I'm still amazed by the people that are still healing piercings totally fine with like garbage jewelry. And they're still pouring like, you know, rubbing alcohol and putting Neosporin all over it. And their piercings are still healing, you know? So it's, Sometimes it's just like this total crapshoot of you can you can go into Studio A that is like, you know, they give you a, a, a cup of wheatgrass before you get pierced and you're getting pierced with the world's best hand polished jewelry. And then, you know, you're getting angel kisses for aftercare or whatever. <laughs> and then on this other side, you're getting pierced with like a piece of like broken acrylic and you're getting told to put dial on it. And like you're eating nothing but McDonald's every day. And, and you know, both are still healing good. So, I, again, that it makes it confusing because like those people, those piercers are still going to say like, Oh, well my aftercare is obviously working because not everybody's coming back with all these massive problems. And it's just really tough to, to sometimes convince people of like, well, just because you haven't had a problem (laughs) doesn't mean that this is going to be good aftercare for someone else. Totally. Totally. I think, um, you just totally made me think of something that one of my favorite crappiest piercings I've ever seen was a four and a half year old Nate piercing done with a one and a half inch external threaded straight barbell that was still there wow yeah four and a half years later wow and did the person was, have like a super doughy neck or something or uh you know i was just so in awe and like just completely flabbergasted by it i didn't even feel her neck huh. i was just like kellen come take a picture of this yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh. take a picture of this thing that actually worked that we always say doesn't work Oh, that this that, is the one in a million. Did I ever tell you that the dumbest thing that I ever did that somehow worked was when I was um, 16 or 17 or something, I, I did three surface piercings on my girlfriend's back between her shoulder blades with, uh, I think, like five eighths inch or half inch curve barbells. Nice. And then, um, you know, life goes on and whatever. And I saw her like more than 10 years later and she still had the piercings in with the original jewelry I wow. pierced her with after like more than 10 years and I was just baffled by it because it's not like I can say like oh well obviously I can do this on somebody else then I think it was just one of those fluke things where she had like amazing blood flow or something I don't know something yeah there's always that one person that gets lucky yeah so Um, like going back to other like failed aftercare Bactine you know um, so 
BZK solution, benzylconium chloride solution, uh, you know, that's that's for like cuts and scratches. Like Bactine works fine for like a scraped knee or if you have a paper cut or something like that, but it says it right on the bottle that you're not supposed to get it in a puncture wound, which is, you know, what a body piercing is. So um, Bactine was definitely a generation of aftercare for me, like around 98, 90s. somewhere around there. Yeah, like late 90s, it was like dial and Bactine for me. And then my first jump away from Bactine was a uh, homemade sea salt solution. And, you know, I would get just these empty plastic bottles and then I would I would say like, oh, this is an eight ounce bottle. You're gonna need X amount of, of sea salt. So I would bag that amount up in a little plastic baggie, tape it to the bottle. And I was selling those to clients for like two or $3 or something. And just saying, oh, just, just you know, put some warm water in this and then use that as your aftercare. And, um, you know, at, at this point I wouldn't do that because, you know, I, I have fears about, you know, uh, bacteria building up in the bottle or them like you know having too much or, or not enough salt or whatever so what, what are your opinions on, on like homemade sea salt solution uh, I think there's too much room for error yeah I think that um, so one you you have many different ways to do it you can mix it one cup at a time mm -hmm. you can mix it one cup at a time using tap water which you know I live in Philadelphia. My tap water has flavor. Mm. You know, like, I can't imagine what all is in there. Yeah. And what soaking in tap water would do to a piercing. Um, you could mix a full gallon of it, but then you have a full gallon of sea salt solution that's sitting around that you're opening up, letting whatever airborne contaminants are in the air in there, and then festering. Yeah. Um, going back to mixing one cup at a time... Are you using a measuring cup and measuring spoon? Yeah. Are we really, really After like... After a week, do you just start eyeballing it? Yeah, yeah, you know, like, it's one of those things where there's a science behind it, and there's a reason why there's a ratio and recipe to it, and, you know, I'm lazy. I know that at some point, if I was mixing it one cup at a time, I would start slacking off. Yeah, me too. Um, so I think it's just too much room for error, and, you know, I think that they already make really nicely packaged saline that's in a container that's sterile and stays clean, that's just as effective. So I think that if you're going to go the, the route of, hey, suggest salt water because it's the same as saline, mm -hmm. just go ahead and suggest saline, you know? Yeah. And you don't have to be... Nikes are cool, but you don't always have to have Nikes. So you don't have to buy just the one brand of saline yeah. to be the cool kid piercer. You know, there's multiple companies you can order from, you know? So get what you can afford and get what you're comfortable using. But I think that at this day... For me personally, I like an all-natural, easy aftercare. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's more conducive that someone's going to do it right. Um, I think that the explanation of doing it is simpler than trying to break down to somebody how to do a saltwater soak and not yeah. make a mess of themselves. Um, and it's nicer than some of the stuff that you and I used while we were getting pierced and, and healing things on a regular. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember the, the 50, 50 back teen in water. I remember yes. from there going to, um, dial soap. I remember from dial soap. Uh, I remember being talked to about salt water. I never actually did it. Um, but from dial soap, it went to Provon to satin to saline at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally, for me, never liked H2 ocean. I felt that it overdried my skin. Yeah. Um, so at this point, if I have to use anything, I'm going to start with saline. Um, and not just based off that, I like to suggest it. You know, I, I like it for me. And it definitely has a track record. It has paperwork backing that it's great for puncture wounds. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's the direction we need to move into is using products 
that are good for what we do and and even finding potentially companies that back what we do yeah um and and i know that's kind of contradicts what i just said where you don't have to have this one product but um for those of you that don't know i i'm i like to do suspensions and i've been involved in the suspension community for a long time and and uh, a lot of us really will have gone beyond and out of our way to make sure that we're using equipment from companies that know what we're using it for and they're like oh cool yeah you can totally use it for that Mm -hmm. um so it's nice to use a product when it has a backing from the manufacturer and you're like cool like not only am I suggesting the right thing, but like the people that make this are backing me and saying it. So, um, you know, like really, I think we've gotten to a point where, um, aftercare is a little more streamlined, but I think it's still important to know other alternatives to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, there was, there was definitely a point where I was doing suggesting the soaks. Uh, and now I'm going to moved on to more like pre-made sprays now when I talk to people and they say like, well, how many times a day am I supposed to soak it? And that that question, I get that question really frequently. I think that question is a big pet peeve of mine because I don't think soaks are you know necessary all the time. I know that they have their, their benefit, but I don't want people to think that you have to soak your piercing multiple times a day every day. Because again, you, you go back to, if you give somebody an overly complicated aftercare, they're just gonna stop doing it after a while. And if you're trying to tell someone, you have to measure this and mix this and soak with it three times a day, maybe they'll do that for a week. Maybe they'll do that for two weeks, but then like, you know, a couple of weeks in, if they, if they have a slow healing piercing, they're just gonna stop doing that. Or if you're telling them to like soak, like a, a, a daith, a doth, or a tragus, or whatever, and you're telling them to like, you know, turn their head and dip it into a cup and do all this and that, they're not gonna do that long-term, you know? So uh, I, I know that soaks have their benefit for increasing blood flow, getting rid of some like excess fluid discharge, I get that, but I don't think that soaks should be like the default aftercare. I think the default aftercare should really be, don't clean it, just yeah, don't touch it, it. Leave it alone, let it heal, and then I think the next tier after that would be, Try some saline as a spray, uh, and then soaks are going to be kind of far down on my list. You know, soaks. I don't really suggest soaks much at, at this point anymore. But again, that's because regionally in New England, you can get away with that. You know, yeah. maybe there are other parts of the U.S. or, or different parts of the world where soaks are going to be more beneficial. But here in New England, they're they're not going to be, in my opinion, they're not going to be more beneficial than a good shower and a, a saline spray. So keeping it out of personal opinion, I really don't like soaks because I feel you're overhydrating the area at mm-hmm. that point. You know, and though the warmth might be good, and yes, if you mix it properly, there's going to be, you know, the astringent property to it or whatever. I just feel like if you're sticking that piercing in, in a cup of water, mm-hmm. you're kind of drowning it out. Yeah. You know, and and I think overall now, and maybe it's just quality of jewelry or maybe. I just know what I'm doing, you know, I see far less problems than I used to. And, and I do wonder how many of the times that, that I saw big juicy bumps on piercings. Was it because I was telling you to stick your ear in a cup of water and leave it in there for 10 or 15 minutes? Maybe, but I think also on the flip side, you know, I know definitely for me as a piercer, I've, I've gotten better. And, and now my, the piercings that I perform are less traumatic than they were 10 years ago, you know? So I think a lot of the problems that I was seeing 10 years ago were because I was still using a lot of clamps. You know, I was still using the cheaper quality needles. I was still using cheaper quality jewelry. Um, and I, I think those things were, were causing a lot of my swelling issues, my bumps, um, you know, extra crusties, things like that. So I think since I've refined 
the other parts of my technique, I, I think aftercare doesn't really have to work as hard. You yeah. know, I think a lot yeah. of it now, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're making a piercing where it's not very traumatic, you're installing jewelry that's not going to be very disruptive to healing and it's a really good quality material, um, you know, how much more does the body really need to be able to heal it other than just time, you know? Time and sleep. Yeah. Um, so, soaks, uh, when I first started like taking aftercare classes at conference and, you know, reading point articles and all that stuff, soaks were really just to equalize, uh, too much fluid, you know? So if you had a piercing that was like gooey and discharging and whatever, that's when you would do a soak, you know, you would, you know, mixing your solution like hypertonic and hypotonic and isotonic and all that stuff is basically just a fancy way of saying salt level. You know, so if you have too much fluid in a, in a piercing, you can do a sea salt soak, you can draw out some of that excess discharge, but it's not going to be like a soak it all the time. It's just you soak it a little bit to kind of equalize it, and then you just get back to your normal aftercare routine. But now I think um, it's just like soak, soak, soak. That's all you're cleaning, and then that's just going to make your piercing more dry, which is going to make it more irritated and more discharged, and then people are going to want to soak more and I think it's this domino effect of people don't understand what they're suggesting or why they're suggesting it. They're just suggesting stuff because they heard somebody else suggest it. Yeah. I think something that we also don't, as piercers, we don't think about, and maybe our clients don't think about too, is sometimes those things just get worse because of the stress level. Yeah. You know, like you see this thing, you freak out, it starts getting bigger, you freak out more, it gets even bigger, then you come in and you're like, hey, this is happening. And the first thing I ask people is, how stressed out are you? Mm. How stressful is your life? Right. You know, because if you have something that's healing on your body, it's going to react to that. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times, you know, I have found that with people, it's them continually stressing about the fact that their piercing doesn't look the way that they want it to, that I think is keeping that irritation around longer and making it worse until we come in and discuss some things and like, hey, let's like not worry about this because it will go away. Mm -hmm. We will figure out how yeah. to make this go away together. Yeah. If this doesn't work, Let's try this for a week. Let's give your body time to adjust to it. If this doesn't work, come back next week. We'll try something different until we figure this out. Um, and I definitely found that just that even moment of people like taking that breath and acknowledging that they don't have to stress out over it because yeah. it's going to be okay yeah. kind of starts the process of like, okay, this is going to get better. How, how frequently, when, when people come in for that checkup, how frequently do they just assume they have an infection? Every time. Yeah. So every time I get that a lot where people come in and they're like, oh, I'm, I have an infection or I have a problem or whatever. And, you know, my counter staff, to their credit, they're they're trained up to the point where they're like, well, you know, don't worry about infections just yet. You know, have the checkup and have the conversation. And even just that is enough to usually calm people down a little yeah. bit before I actually talk to them. But, you know, usually the first thing I'll want to say to a person is. It's not, it doesn't look like it's related to bacteria. It doesn't look like an infection to me, but you also have to walk that fine line to people that are listening. You know, we're not doctors. So if you're unsure, you know, you don't want to just say, oh, that's definitely not an infection. Oh, don't worry about it because you know, what, it, what if, you know? So I always like to also pepper it with, uh, if you're concerned that it's an infection, you're going to want to go to your doctor and have them confirm it. Uh, but to me, that doesn't look like an infection. What it looks like is blah. And then we'll talk about it. And most of the time, my aftercare, uh, like troubleshooting uh, conversation is going to be just stop touching it, just stop cleaning it, 
just try to think about what's causing the problem in the first place and try to eliminate it. I'd say like the, the most common thing I deal with is the bump on a nostril. And I'm, I'm like you, I don't pierce them with rings. So my, my first questions are always going to be like, well, what are, you, what are you getting on it potentially? You know, makeup, facial wash, soap. Just don't get that on it. Don't touch it. You know, I, I think when people have problems with the piercing, like their their hands just gravitate towards it to kind of tap it. Like when you get a bruise and you're constantly poking at it. Does it, it still hurt? Does it still hurt? Right. Oh, it still hurts, you know. But, uh, you know, it's just if you can break that cycle. Yeah. Uh, because you're probably causing a lot of the irritation when you think that you're trying to help. You know, overcleaning it is a big is a big thing about what keeps problems there. Um, abuse in the first place, you know. And, and sometimes, especially with, with people that wear makeup, if their piercing gets a little red, red or irritated, they're going to tend to blend concealer, foundation, whatever, closer and closer and closer to try to hide that. I had a girl with really, really problematic cheek piercing. I think we talked about, about it on the last, last episode. Podcast, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's the reason I don't do them anymore because she like her piercing got irritated, so she put more and more makeup on it, and it just made it way worse. You know, so it's always uh, you know I like doing that Sherlock Holmes bit where I can be like, let's let's talk about this. You know, is your your ear piercing irritated because you wear a motorcycle helmet or you have to wear safety glasses at work or you have to wear headphones or you're a doctor or a nurse and you have to wear a stethoscope and all these different things. I love that. But, um, you know, I, I really don't like it when people just, they Google and then they're just like, okay, uh, tea tree oil is going to be what saves me. You know? So I want to touch on something you just said. When you're having these consults with people, something I like to do is remind them that they're seeing me because they need help. And I want to help them. Yeah. And to remind them that the more honest that they are with me about what they're really doing, the more I can successfully help them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of times clients will come in and not want to tell us things because they're afraid that they're going to get scolded yeah. or that we're going to give them the finger or yeah. like something, you know, and, and really like, I feel bad that your piercing's not healing easily. Mm -hmm. Like, like even if I didn't do the piercing, I feel bad because your piercing isn't healing easy. Yeah. So let's figure out what's causing it. Chances are it's probably something you're doing, and that's okay. You're a human. You're going to make errors, but let's figure it out together, and like let's let's figure out a way that you can maybe not do that, or at least acknowledge. Oh, you know what? You're right. I sleep on this side, or you know what? I have just touched this like 75 times since I've been talking to you, and I do this all day. Oh my god. Yeah. Or hey, yeah, I use cotton balls, right? You know, like the more honest they are, the more we can help them. So, kind of like putting that blanket down of comfort and being like, hey, dude, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here. If you're doing something wrong, I'll explain to you why it's wrong. I'm not just going to tell you that you're stupid. Yeah. You know, and like really taking that moment to help them calm down so they want to be part of the helping experience rather than you feeling like you have someone sitting in front of you that just wants you to you to tell them what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that comes up a lot in troubleshooting consultations. You know, it, it'll, you start off that conversation with, okay, so, you know... What are you, are you putting anything on it? What are you putting on it? And then it's, oh, just, just the stuff I got here, just the saline. And it's like, okay, okay. And then you talk for another minute or two, and then they say something about like, oh, yeah, and then I was putting something on it in the shower, and I'd be like, wait a minute. You just said you were only doing saline. So what are you really putting on it? And I'm not going to yell at you, and I'm not going to judge you. But yeah, you know, like, you know, even if it's, you tried this thing for two or three days, you know, I, I tried the aspirin paste thing because my friend said, you know, um, and then then you can tell them like, well, that's not a great idea to keep doing that because this is what it's actually doing when you think it's doing this, you know? So did, was there ever a point where you were suggesting like stuff like that, like aspirin? No, never that. Um, I think the only stuff that I ever 
really suggested that now I'm like, ah, I shouldn't have done that with tea tree oil. Yeah. Tea tree oil, I, I never I never did, thankfully. But aspirin paste, uh, it was really when people would have some sort of problem on like a tongue piercing or the inside of their lip piercing. I would, I would say, oh yeah, try this, try this. I never really saw any sort of significant benefit to it. And it really, like now, it's because I know that the problems weren't caused by something that aspirin paste could do anything for. It was because I was piercing people with like, way the wrong jewelry size or I was suggesting Listerine at the time or glyoxide or peroxyl or something like that. Like all those products that have the word ox in it, you know, that's peroxide based and it's just burning their piercing basically. Um, you know, I do, I finally remembered what I, what I just forgot 10 seconds ago. Um, something that I also like to talk about with my clients is if they're having a problematic piercing and they're doing something, don't stop just because the bump went away. Mm-hmm. You know, like okay, now we dealt with the superficial part of it, but whatever caused it is still going on on the inside. And if we don't keep up with doing this until yeah. we know it's gone, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so my suggestion with them at that point is like, hey, once this irritation goes away, we're still going to do this for like another X amount of time afterwards, you know, two weeks, a month, whatever number I come up with the time or whatever I feel is best at the time. Um, but I do like to suggest that too. It's like, hey, we're already dealing with this. I don't want you to have to come back for the same thing in a month yeah. because it's going to go away and you're going to get comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Mm-hmm. So my, my big thing is I, I'd say the majority of the time when people come in for a checkup, uh, it's really just kind of reinforcing what the initial aftercare speech was, you know, and if my initial aftercare speech is essentially like, don't touch it, don't pick at it, don't put any sort of chemicals on it and just spray it with this stuff a few times a day. When they come in, the majority of the time, I'm basically just reiterating those points and being like, okay, you know, I, I, you're, you're touching it right in front of me. Like, you know, you might not notice it, you know, and I'm not here to scold you, but just realize that, you know, your hands are gravitating towards it. Stop it. You know, just do this, just do that. Very little am I actually like telling them something different at this point, you know, like uh, every now and then maybe there'll be something where I'll say, okay, try this or try that. But most of the time it's like, did you change your jewelry? Are you wearing something else that you didn't get here? Did did you have an accident? Did you snag it or bump it or whack it or something like that? Did you, you know, pick at it or, or whatever? And most of those things. But it gets really confusing when it's, um, you know, no I, I, no, I didn't do this. No, I didn't do that. No, I didn't change the jewelry. I've still been doing the same aftercare. Sometimes with that, it's like, well, it's this is a mystery to me then. Then it's like, well, I don't want to suggest you try something just pulling it out of the air you know so maybe i i would get more comfortable with something like a a warm compress you know i i don't i i'd feel totally comfortable suggesting just a warm water compress but i don't think i'm there with with tea bags just yet um try it with a different different methods of warmth you know yeah aaron used to suggest tea bags when he was here and i remember scolding him on it i was like please don't tell people chamomile tea bag soaks you know maybe i should have been a little bit more open to it to, to seeing the results but uh, I think I fell into that trap of, you know, other elite piercers being like, oh, don't, 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 do blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, obviously, obviously that's bad. But, you know, maybe there is a benefit to it. Maybe that's, that is something I should pay a little more attention to. But warm water compresses, I can totally get behind that. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, like you touched on earlier, it's about the warmth. Yeah. You know, I think that you're doing stuff just by putting that warmth on there and getting more circulation in the area, getting more blood flow, getting, mm-hmm. you know, more comfort. Um, so for, you know, and again, I am, I am not sponsored on this show in any way you know i don't take money from from anyone for placements or something like that but there are a couple different companies that i would want to say are like good companies to deal with like do, do you have an opinion on neil med 
I like it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, honestly, I think that's what I've been using the most. Neomed and then um, Steri Wash is mm. the other one that I've uh, I've been using. Yeah. When it comes to saline too, I mean, like you can get that. Any store that sells band aids is gonna sell saline. Yeah. You know, so Walmart, CVS, Target, like most grocery stores, they're always gonna have some brand. You know, whether it's Arm and Hammer or whether it's whoever else, uh, saline wound wash. I mean, wound wash saline is pretty much going to be the same thing from one manufacturer to the next. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's saline. Yeah. and then, <laughs> I think there's only one recipe for it. <laughs> yeah, H2Ocean, I, I use them for years. I use H2Ocean for years and years and years. Um, but then I just, I ended up having too many vegan clients that were like, well, you know, I, I want a vegan product. So I was like, okay, well, just wound wash saline it is. And, um, you know, I, I know that H2Ocean has their their whatever wash thing where it's like, you know, it's, it's vegan. It's just basically wound wash saline. Um, I think that's great. But, you know, I, I just think the convenience of being able to tell someone it's not some mystery product. Like sure. You can get Neil at my shop if you don't want to make the extra trip, but you can get the same saline in a lot of different drugstores, you know, in a lot of different places. I think that just gives people that extra little bit of confidence of like, all right, you're not trying to trick me and sell me some like magic beans or something like that. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to tell me a product that works and you have it here as convenience. Um, I, I, you know, that's part of my speech too. When I tell people, it's like, look, I'm not a salesperson. You know, if you want to buy the product here, great. If yeah. you're not going to buy the product here, go to the drugstore, go to the first aid aisle, mm-hmm. make sure you're getting wound wash saline. It's the same stuff. Yeah. 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 And I, I just think it's good to be able to say that, you know, um, there are some other products. Have you ever used simple care? One of Bedore's products, the punk medic. Um, I have not personally, but I know lots of people that do. I use that for a long time. Uh, you know, sadly, the only reason I, I stopped doing it is because it was, you know, it's tough to import a product from Canada and uh, price point versus the size of the bottle. And, you know, it, it wasn't a, a, a sterile product. So certain those things pushed me towards uh, sterile products that are that are easier to, to get from a local distributor. But Simple Care was awesome. It had like camphrey or comfrey or whatever but all it had all these like great anti-inflammatories in it and it was really really good you know and, uh it, it worked really well for like irritated inflamed piercings kind of in the same thing that like a you know a, a tea soak would do just without the, the tea product and without the warmth um but that worked great you know so i i think at this point saline is going to be the king for a while i think you know um and, it, you know, if you're if there are people listening and you're on some of the other aftercares that we've mentioned, you know, if you're still doing soaps, I'm not going to say that there's like anything inherently wrong with soaps, but just pay attention to what the active ingredient is in the soap. Make sure that it's not too strong. Make sure that you're not like over suggesting its use. You know, if, if you're thinking people should use it a handful of times a week, um, you know, make sure that they don't think that they're supposed to be using it a handful of times a day, you know. Uh, saline is awesome. You know, I, I would say don't use any sort of an ointment. I mean, have you ever used any sort of an ointment? No. Yeah. No. Ointments are, in my opinion, just bad news because it's just going to clog the site and it's just the wrong kind of product. And it's the wrong kind of chemical. Well, and if you don't really know what's in them, you know, it's pretty much an antibiotic and petroleum. Yeah. And once the antibiotic wears off, you just got Vaseline on your piercing. Yeah, you yeah, know? goo. On it. But, you know, uh, experiment, for sure experiment, especially, you know, if... If you're living some sort of different climate, you know, really hot, really wet, really dry, whatever, you know, you got to dial it in for your, for your client. <laughs> nice joke. <laughs> so, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about as far as aftercare goes? Um, not really, but I can tell by the sound of your voice we're going to start wrapping this up soon. Yeah, I got to shower um, and go to work. I do want to say thank you to everybody that listened to the last time and made an effort to reach out to me. I think it's really cool. 
I did this last time with Ryan, just thinking, oh, this is going to be this fun thing to do. Nobody fucking listens to this thing. Hey! And, um, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you guys do listen. And so as a request, um, Ryan and I have already talked about doing a couple more of these. Um, I, or Ryan, would like to hear from you guys and uh, maybe have you guys pick the topic of what we talk about next time. Um, do you have an email people can, can send to you? Yeah, uh, ryanpba at gmail.com, or you can go to... Uh, piercingwizardpodcast.com or you can message me on Facebook, uh, Ryan PBA. What's the best way for people to get a get a hold of you? Uh, Piercings by Ed on Instagram um, is going to be my only like easy to find non-private account. Uh, if we're friends on Facebook, you can definitely Facebook message me. If we're not friends on Facebook, you can friend me. Uh, I use my full name for Facebook, which is Eduardo Chavaria. And what we'll do is we'll just compare and see what the most uh, request of topics is and that's what we'll choose. And uh, but yeah, I think it's really cool that you guys are listening to this, and uh, I think it's really cool that you have reached out to me and and, and told me what you liked about what you heard last time, and uh, I really look forward to doing a lot more of these. And uh, know that uh, if you are someone that has helped guide me in any way, shape, or form, that I have a lot of love and appreciation for you, because I wouldn't be where I'm at without the support and help from a lot of you, and I hope that I can return the favor to some of you young guys. Uh, younger people. Yep. Sorry. I just totally corrected myself. I said people, uh, cause I love everybody. Um, anybody that wants help. I, I really, I'm an open book. I love what I do. I love what I do a lot. And I want everybody that does this to have the longevity that I've had. So if there's anything I can do to help you with that, please reach out. Other than that, I really look forward to the next time we can do this. Same, whatever he said. Uh, I, I like you people. So, uh, okay. So thanks, Ed. Later. All right. So there you go. Aftercare, aftercare, aftercare. For anybody who doesn't feel like doing their own aftercare speech, you can just feel free to make your clients listen to my podcast episode instead. Uh, I've got a, a few more podcast interviews lined up. Those should be uh, the next couple of episodes. I've got some some good ones coming down the pipeline for you. Um, still trying to schedule something with Cody Vaughn. We've been trying to do uh, an interview for a while, uh, but it just hasn't lined up with our schedule. So hopefully I can get something recorded with him maybe this week and get that up for you soon. I, I'm going to be heading out of town for a little while uh, <laughs> for, for wrestling stuff. Big shock. Um, I've got a, a tournament in the UK that I'm going to in uh, about two weeks, and then right after that is WrestleMania in New Orleans, so I have to get a couple episodes interviewed and scheduled so that uh, you don't have to go without your, your content while I'm gone. Other than that, uh, it, it is a, a little bit challenging uh, having a, a weekly podcast show, so I don't know, I've been going back and forth on whether or not I should keep it weekly or if I should maybe go to every other week or just kind of post them whenever I have uh, the free time to make an episode. Uh, I definitely want to hit one full year of weekly episodes. That'll be at least two more months. But after that, I don't know. I think I'll have to make a decision on um, whether I, I have the time and, and whether I can still generate all that content. You know, um, trying to find somebody to to interview every single week, trying to edit a, a podcast episode every single week, doing it all by myself is uh, a little bit challenging. You know, it's good to have that routine, but uh, summertime is going to be pretty busy for me, so uh, I, I might not be able to promise a, a weekly episode, but I'll certainly try to try get get the most regular content I can up for you, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, you know, maybe around conference time, I can get a, a big flood of, of content and keep things going weekly, and then once I head into the fall with all those... Uh, 
international conferences, you know, that might make it a little bit easier. But we'll see how it goes. I am tired. I, I maybe want to uh, take some some trips and have a little bit more time for myself. But uh, I feel like I'm kind of addicted to doing the show. So we'll uh, we'll see. But uh, again, thank you for listening. And uh, again, again, if you're interested in any of my seminars, go to precisionbodyarts.com backslash seminars. You can check out uh, where I'll be, registration costs, registration requirements, all that good stuff. So thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.